Ah, so we have some changes coming to our next season, season three of Morning Murders. Uh, we started this project during the pandemic, and life was a little bit different, as we all know. Yeah, moving forward, we'll be doing our best to release new episodes every Monday. There may be times that we have to let the coffee brew a while longer. So thank you for being a bean Beans. and sticking with us. We are so grateful for all the support and excitement with this little podcast we like to call Morning Murders. And we look forward to sharing more stories and coffee with all of you. Stay safe and enjoy all the cups of coffee. Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about true crime. True crime. Um, yes, and ladies and beans, today I bring a case that is still unsolved. Solved, solved, solved. Once on the FBI's 10 most wanted list from 2014 to 2018, you can still find his picture and information on the site under most wanted murder section which I linked in the resources, so check it out. But ladies and beans, have you ever heard of Bradford Bishop? I don't know if I have. Ah, well, then you're not in that part of the book yet, because oh. it is in Anatomy of oh, Motive. Books. Uh, uh, books. Anyways, so he was a young foreign services officer and seemed to have the perfect little family. But for seemingly no reason, he snapped. The only trigger investigators could determine was that he got turned down for job promotion. But before all of that, let us go back. William Bradford Bishop Jr. was born in Pasadena, California on August 1st, 1936. He got a Bachelor of Science in History from Yale, a Master of the Art in International Studies with a concentration in Africa from the University of California, and he also attended Middlebury College. When he graduated from Yale in 1959, he also went on to serve four years in the Army as counterintelligence. Hmm. It is said that he speaks five languages. I Eng speak six languages. <laughs> no, five. Five languages. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. That's not the lyric. I know. Uh, English, French, Italian, Serbo-Croatian, and Spanish. That's interesting because my uncle could speak uh, English, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. Oh. And it was because, like, Italian and, like, Spanish or, and Portuguese are also kind of similar to each mm. other, that it's like mm. once you know one very fluently, you can kind of make your way through the other ones. That's cool. Yeah, I'm actually trying to learn a few different languages right now, um, but I'm not staying on it super well. Uh, I use that the Duolingo-like app, mm. and the minute I lose a streak of lessons in a row, I get like frustrated. I'm become a petty witch, if you will, and mm. I like stop practicing. <laughs> um, I had like recently had 150 days on my streak and I lost a day and ruined my whole streak and I haven't been back since. Mm. But uh, I, I'm trying to I do like that, Spanish, um, French, uh, Japanese, uh, Korean, and, Chi and Mandarin cool. are the languages. And like French and Spanish I did in school and they're also, they, the structure is very similar. A lot of languages structure similar except for English. Yeah. <laughs> like Latin descent. I'm trying to remember like what there's like a descent. There's like a certain 
romantic word. language. Mm-hmm. There's like a certain word that's like all of like a bunch of them are derivative of each other, like French and Spanish and a couple of those, and like German mm-hmm. and English are different, and like structure wise too. Yeah, yeah. Languages, man. Anyways, I digress. Uh, so Bradford joined the U.S. State Department and served in the U.S. Foreign Service. He had many different postings overseas, especially Italy, Verona, Milan, and Florence. I read that he actually did postgraduate work at the University of Florence. Um, adding to his long list of things, he served as a foreign service officer in Africa, and his last posting was at the State Department headquarters in Washington as assistant chief. The division? Special Activities and Commercial Treaties. While at the State Department, he worked with a man named Roy Harrell, and that's important for later on in the story. So he married a woman named Annette in 1959. They were high school sweethearts in California, and together they had three boys, William, Brenton, and Jeffrey. In 1976, everyone thought he had the perfect life, the perfect family. They all seemed very happy together, and no one really said uh, that they'd heard much about them fighting or anything. But Bradford was taking Surix, uh, which is uh, like a, a drug for anxiety. It was said that he was possibly secretly suffering from anxiety and also maybe depression. Um, but the prescription can be addictive. But no one ever reported seeing him abuse it or even suspected that he had any issues anyways. Um, so no one knew that he was suffering from these things. On March 1st, Bradford learned that he would not be getting a promotion that he really wanted that would have taken him overseas. In a 2016 interview, Roy Harrell, a long-since-retired, recalled that day. So Roy was one of the last people to see Bradford before he murdered his family. Well. Mm-hmm. So Bradford had been denied the job promotion overseas and then tells Roy that he doesn't feel well. Roy told him to go home and that they would get together next week. And Bradford said, yeah, if there is a next week. And Roy thought that was a very odd comment at the time. So Bradford told his secretary he didn't feel well and he left early. It was later discovered that he had withdrawn $400 from his account and had driven from Foggy Bottom, where the U.S. State Department headquarters was located, to Westfield Montgomery, which was at the time the Montgomery Mall. There he purchased some rather peculiar items at a Sears store a gas can, and a ball-peen hammer, which I had to look up because I, I know it may shock you ladies because I spent some time working in the scene shop in college, but I did not know <laughs> what type of hammer that was. Oh, yeah. uh, he stopped at a gas station and filled the gas can on his way home. Once he got home, he took the lives of every family member in the house with that hammer. Jesus Christ. Ladies and beans, hold on to your mugs because here come the murders. And a super bizarre case, to be honest. Upon investigation, the police believe that Bradford killed his wife first. The only reason behind that is that they couldn't imagine Bradford being able to bludgeon the three boys to death without her trying to stop him. They also believe that once Annette was dead, Bradford's mother, Labelia, arrived back home from walking the family dog, which was a golden retriever named Leo. Bradford struck her down and killed her before going to the boys where they were sleeping in their beds. He did not stop there, though. He actually took all of the bodies and loaded them into the family station wagon with no witnesses. He drove 275 miles to an extremely wooded area off North Carolina Highway 94, which I read was about five miles south of Columbia. I've never been to North Carolina, so I don't really know what any of that means. Um, yeah, but that's a, still a very, very long, long time drive to have a, a bunch of dead bodies in your car. Yes. So he dug a shallow grave and piled the bodies of his family members on top of one another, took the gas can, covered them in gasoline, and then set them on fire. 
again, with no witnesses. And the fire remained contained and did not set off any alarms right away to the rangers in the area. On March 2nd, the next day, smoke was spotted rising from the woods by a ranger in a fire tower. Another ranger was called to investigate, and that is where they found the bodies of Annette, who was 37, Labelia, who was 68, William, 15, Brenton, 10, and Jeffrey, who was only five years old, were discovered. The other items discovered were a shovel with a burned handle and a label displaying the store in which it was purchased and the gas can. Through credit card tracking, investigators learned that Bradford went to a sporting goods store in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and bought tennis shoes. Witnesses at this location claim they saw him with the family dog on a leash and possibly with another woman. There are later sightings, but nothing was ever confirmed. A week later, on March 10th, a neighbor called the police concerned about the family, because at this time, they don't know the family is dead yet. Um, They said they hadn't seen them for three weeks. So at this time, the police knew nothing about the murder. They'd only found bodies in the forest. Mm. They had no information yet about these bodies. How long is, has it been? Because It's been it, a week. Okay, so it's like all, the other thing, too, is, like, how big is this county? Like, I wonder if they were able to figure out, like, it takes a second. What year was this? It was 1976. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, like, in, in the past, when, when especially when you've brought cases from around this time before, there's always, like, that time in between where everyone needed to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, it just takes time to be like, this family was found here. Who do they belong to? This is the wrong county. It's in this county. Let's talk to these guys. Like, mm-hmm. is it city or, you know, rural? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And also think, so they've uh, submitted for dental records at this point, but mm-hmm. they haven't gotten anything back yet because right. things also just take a lot longer. And there's no actual crime scene because they can't determine if the bodies were killed there or brought there. Mm. So there's no technically no crime scene and no suspects at this time. So a detective that was in a nearby neighborhood of the family's neighborhood uh, went over to investigate this neighbor's concern, the one that called in. Right. So the neighbor actually had a key to the house because the families were actually pretty close and they were friends and they would watch out for each other. That'd be so sad. I know. So the detective went inside to see if anything was wrong and after nobody answered the door, um, he started to investigate a little further. But he was on the suspicion that something was already wrong because near the front door, he had seen drops of blood on the front porch. And then once he opened the door, he saw blood splatter that took over the front room floor. As he went up the stairs into the house, he found more blood on the walls, on the floors. And once he got to what appeared to be the kids' room, it was entirely covered in blood. All the walls, the floor, even the ceiling fan had blood on it. He had been on the forest for 12 years, and he had never witnessed such a disturbing sight. Shortly after the crime scene was uncovered at the house, the dental records came back and confirmed the identity of the burned bodies found Mm. in the woods. They matched the Bishop family. So before the records came back, though, the neighbors were able to identify the bodies from photos. About eight days later, the abandoned family station wagon was found. It was in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park at a campground. Inside, they found dog biscuits and a bloody blanket. When they investigated further, they found that where the spare tire sits was filled with blood. There was a shotgun, an axe, and in the glove compartment, there were maps of the southern states and a prescription bottle for Surex. Hmm. The next day, March 19th, a grand jury indicted Bradford on five counts of first-degree murder, among other charges, like unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. The evidence they had was his disappearance, uh, the witness that placed him near the body's location, and fingerprints in the blood at the house, and that the blood matched that of the families. Despite things looking perfect in this family to most people, there were some who came forward to speak on the dysfunction that wasn't so obvious— 
A co-worker of Bradford's said that they would hear all about how Bradford's wife and mother belittled him often, telling Bradford to wash up or that he wasn't doing well at his job anymore, things like that. Investigators believe that it may have upset him and that he was simply a ticking time bomb. Was it a crime of passion? They're not really sure. Whatever the reason, Bradford was gone, so they weren't going to be able to ask him. He had about a week's head start. Having a U.S. diplomat passport, he could literally be anywhere. And it was 1976. It is incredibly easy to disappear with no paper trail at that time. Summer of love, baby. Summer of love, baby. So since his disappearance, there have been sightings. Hikers claimed they saw him in the Appalachian Trail, places in uh, the southeastern coast and even Daytona Beach, Florida. In 1978, someone claimed to see him in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, He might have been seen in Switzerland on a train platform. Uh, Bradford was spotted in Sorrento, Italy in 1979 by Roy Harrell, um, who was on a ski vacation when he saw Bradford in the restroom. Now, Roy is that retired gentleman that I spoke about earlier who used to work with Bradford at the State Department. Roy recalled that he looked mostly the same, had a beard and put on some weight and had gotten older. Um, When he saw him, he said, you're Bradford. And the man said, oh, God, and ran out of the bathroom and into a storm, according to Roy. So this one's a little tricky because on a documentary clip that I watched, Roy said that it was like 2004 that he saw him. And then in a book that I read, it said 1979. So Mm. I'm not sure when Roy actually saw him. Mm. So it was either pretty close after the murder or long after the murder, depending on what source you look at. Anyways, there are other theories that he committed suicide, possibly in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, where he left his family. Another is that he joined the Soviet Union. Uh, The police do not feel that any of these theories are accurate. John Douglas assisted on a fugitive assessment at Quantico. Chiboy! It would get updated year to year. Bradford is considered a family annihilator, just like John List, as um, John Douglas talks about in the book The Anatomy of Motive. Um, And also because of um, Bradford's background and all the tools he had at his disposal, he could literally be anywhere. Um, He was on an episode of America's Most Wanted, just like John List, but unfortunately it wasn't as successful. Um, It had been an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and ABC's Vanished, um, among other shows. Um, Again, in John Douglas's book, Anatomy of Motive, he talks about Bradford in the chapter On the Run. Uh, John points out that Bradford was more concerned about destroying evidence than properly burying the bodies. John said, To bludgeon one's family to death, there has to be some deep and volatile anger. Even if you are manic depressive and there is some evidence Bishop was, you don't suddenly, on the spur of a moment, decide things are out of hand. Go out and buy a hammer and some gasoline and beat your family to death. After he killed everyone, did he take time to clean up? I mean, he would have been covered, covered in blood and nobody noticed anything, right? I mean, I haven't read anywhere about a witness seeing him covered in blood leaving the scene. Um, I mean, I used to go to like Walmart covered in fake blood from the show Evil Dead I was doing and people always said something to me. Um, So I just feel like either he took the time to clean up himself at least and not the scenes, but like changed his clothes because he would have literally been covered in blood. And I don't know. I don't know what he did, but he got away and like nobody saw him covered in blood. Anyways, um, as for other reasons, I guess they found some financial issues. So that could have been motive, um, but it wasn't anything so intense that they thought it would cause murder. Like John List. John List was crazy in debt and, like, lost his job, and that's one of the reasons why he killed his family. But, like, I don't know. If you're not in your right mind and something is already going on, you may see something that we wouldn't see as an issue to be an issue, right? So who knows? If he's not in his right mind, it's not logical anyways. Um, I don't know. 
But there was even a bust made of what Bradford might look like, um, and there's still a wanted poster. Uh, no information has come forward as of yet, and he is either still at large or dead. Uh, he would be about 86 now. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's still a thing, but there was a $100,000 reward for any information to lead to his capture. Any, like literally, if he was dead or alive, if you knew he was an unmarked grave, whatever, any of that information, you'd get mm. this money. Um, I've linked the wanted poster in my resources, and I wanted to read um, some of the descriptions on the list. So William Bradford Bishop Jr., unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, murder with a blunt instrument. Um, it goes into, like, his aliases, his date of birth, all that fun stuff. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about, like, the remarks that they say. So Bishop was and may still be an avid outdoorsman, camper, and hiker. He had extensive camping experience in Africa. He also enjoyed canoeing, fishing, swimming, jogging, tennis, skiing, and riding motorcycles. Bishop enjoyed working out several times a week. He was also a licensed amateur pilot who learned to fly in Botswana, Africa. Bishop has an American Studies degree from Yale University and a master's degree in Italian from Middle Middlebury College in Vermont. He was known to read extensively and may have kept a diary or a journal. A longtime insomniac, Bishop reportedly had been under psychiatric care in the past and had used medication for depression. He drank scotch and wine and enjoyed eating peanuts and spicy food. Bishop was described as intense and self-absorbed, prone to violent outbursts, and preferred a neat and orderly environment. Caution. William Bradford Jr. is wanted for the alleged bludgering to death his wife, age 37, mother, age 68, and three sons, ages 5, 10, and this says 14, but my other thing said 15, um, in Maryland on March 1st, 1976. He then allegedly transported their bodies to Columbia, North Carolina, where he buried the bodies in a shallow grave and then lit them on fire. In March of 1976, Bishop was charged locally with the murder by the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office in Rockville, Maryland, and then charged federally with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Should be considered armed and extremely dangerous with suicidal tendencies. If you have any information concerning this person, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. And I'll link the, the poster, too, so you can take a look at it. But, yeah, I just said that if you find any information to contact the FBI, you can use the website also, or you can call 1-800-CALL-FBI, which is 1-800-225-5324. Now, for yet another bizarre twist in this tale. Okay, so we're going to jump to September 2021. So we're going to learn about Kathy Gilchrist. So Kathy Gilchrist was born in 1957 to parents she never met. She was adopted as a baby. Her adoptive parents were kind and supportive, and she said, as wholesome as they come. She grew up wanting to be an actress, and in 1979, when the murders were taking place, she was being crowned Miss Stockton in Massachusetts. So then, in September of 2021, she decided to do one of those DNA tests to find out who her family might be. She used that 23andMe. Her cousin, who was pretty good at being an online sleuth, said she'd help her find out who her biological parents were. And boy, did she. So she didn't tell Kathy who Bradford was, but she was like, I found out who your father was. Are you sitting down? And Kathy was like, is it someone famous? And Kathy <laughs> and Kathy tells the reporter that when her cousin told her, she kind of, you know, she said, well, yeah, yeah, but uh, I'll let you figure it out. And then she says, his name is William Bradford Bishop. Oh, my God. Oy. <laughs> so Kathy Googled him. <laughs> So since then, she's also found six other half-siblings, none of which are related to Bishop, and she wrote a book called It's In My Genes. 
She says she often thinks about the murders and the half-siblings that she never had a chance to meet. She said, I'll be perfectly honest, it was more of just a story, but now that I know it's real, there are times when I, you know, I do think, wow, this is real. This is real. This information was a huge break for the FBI. It gave them another outlet to try to find Bradford, or at least what might have happened to him. Special Agent Karen Cody took over the case in 2018, which is the same year that he was taken off of the 10 most wanted list. She is hopeful for the uncovering of this entirely unknown part of Bradford's life. Kathy's mother passed before she had a chance to meet her. And based on the timeline, um, her mother and Bradford must have met while he was at Yale, maybe, because Kathy was born before the boys were. Mm. So the FBI have been able to identify some additional living relatives of Bradford's. But that's it. And that, my ladies and beans, is the still-at-large William Bradford Bishop. Any final sips? Damn, there must be so—I feel like if we found illegitimate children that were happening, like, before the murders, like, Mm -hmm. there has to be so much that led him to this that he just kept completely secret, and we will never know, and Mm -hmm. that's really scary because, yeah— Man, that he, I mean, obviously, if anybody gets to this point where they feel like they have to kill their entire family, like, what? You couldn't, we couldn't get a divorce. We couldn't move away. Dude. We couldn't do any of that. So, like, what leads a person that? And, I, like, you said, like, oh, oh sure, anxiety. No. No. Yeah, no, there's tons no. of anxious people that don't kill their family. So much yeah. in this that we will never know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um. The four types of family annihilators, according to David Wilson of Birmingham City University, are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. self-righteous, which is the killer seeks to locate blame for his crimes upon the mother whom he holds responsible for the breakdown of the family. This may involve the killer phoning his partner before the murder to explain what he is about to do. For these men, their breadwinner status is central to their ideal idea of the ideal family. Mm -hmm. There's the disappointed type. This killer believes his family has let him down or has acted in ways to undermine or destroy his vision of the ideal family life. Mm. An example may be disappointment that children are not following the traditional religious or cultural Didn't customs of John the John Yeah, his, his, uh, his uh, daughter wanted to be an actress. Yeah, right? yeah. she was in theater. Anomic. Uh, in these cases, the family has become firmly linked in the mind of the killer to the economy. The father sees the family as the result of his economic success, allowing him to display his achievements. However, if the father becomes an economic failure, he sees the family as no longer serving this function. Mm. Uh, and then there's paranoid, those who perceive an external threat to the family. This is often social services or the legal system, which the father fears will side against him and take away the children. Here, the murder is motivated by a twisted desire to protect the family. Mm. In all these cases, masculinity and perceptions of power sets the background for the crimes. The family role of the father is central to their ideas of masculinity and the murderers uh, represent the last ditch attempt to perform the masculine role. Um, the family annihilator should be seen as a specific category of murderer for a crime which appears to be increasing, concluded Wilson. To begin solving this problem, the role of gender must be recognized, acknowledging that it is mainly men who will resort to this type of violence. Um, I'll make sure I share that source with you. Yay. So yeah, um, toxic masculinity, baby, that's one of the one of the biggest uh, perpetrators of 
male family annihilators mm-hmm. is the toxic masculinity in this world. I think it's so funny that that gets brought up as like a bingo. It's like, oh, when it's toxic masculine, like people think it's like, oh, it's like, yeah, that's exact. Like, you know how you don't like that you have to be a big, burly man and women want, you know, Chris uh, Hemsworth to do like that's what you perceive. That's that's the problem. Like, yeah, yeah you're it's like self-aware wolves. Like you're right on it. You're like you get it. So you understand that it's annoying. Like mm-hmm. we agree. <laughs> like So, yeah, it's the the effort to be so masculine and the breadwinner and bah. Mm-hmm. That's why that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was uh, some talk, too, that he um, he really wanted this job, right, that was taking him overseas, and his wife really didn't want the job. So, I mean, I don't know. This is just speculation, but it could have also been, like, because she didn't want him to get the job so much, it must have been her fault I didn't get it. Somebody, you know? ah, right. this family's holding me back or whatever, yeah. you know. Mm. But it's so interesting, and, like, they're just, like, the random sightings of him and the fact that he had all these resources to literally just take him anywhere, especially because of the time. Oh, and just There's disappear. no paper trail, yeah. You can just get on a plane. And he's also an amateur pilot. Like, he can fly. Like, he literally could have gone anywhere. And maybe there was a woman with him. Who knows? I mean, and I also don't know what happened to the dog. Like, the dog was seen with him, and then no one, ever, no one knows what happened to the dog yeah. either. But it's just, like, the dog was the only family member that he deemed okay to live. That's, I mean, dogs are better <laughs> than dogs people. Dogs are but, better than yeah. people. Final sip. Dogs are better than people. Dogs are better than And two dogs people. are better than one. Yeah, <laughs> and two cats and a dog is also really all good. the animals. Yes, yeah. all the animals are great. Um, but yeah, I was reading the Anatomy of Motive, and I got to that part, and I went, "What?" And I started looking him up. And since that book came out, the update of the the unknown half daughter right mm-hmm. showed up, and I was like, "This is insane! What?" And yeah, I mean, he could have had other half legitimate, illegitimate children too. Like, who knows? Mm-hmm. There's a whole aspect of his life that nobody knew about, which could have been why he did. What he did. Right. Who knows? It's just crazy. I don't know. Do you guys think that he might still be alive or do you think he's dead? He's 86 now. Mm, I mean, that's hit or miss then. Because you just never know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like he's... I like to think he's dead. Because I don't like to think he's dead. But that's him. usually just how that goes. It's like someone will die and then the whole thing just kind of gets like, well, everyone's dead now. Mm-hmm. Packaged done. Packaged and done. Yeah. Unfortunately. But I feel like he died at some point. Maybe even just, like, I'm sure he lived fine. Like, they all can't be like that one Brian Landry guy and go waste a bunch of time and money and then kill yourself in the forest. Should we do a seance about it? Find out? (laughs) Oh, gosh. The only way. (laughs) No. I'm watching so many horror movies right now. I don't want to talk to them. No. No, that just invites really bad things. I don't talk to Guys, you. if you haven't seen anything on Shudder, just go watch anything on Shudder. <laughs> and anything. you'll be like, okay, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't fuck with Ouija boards. Please don't. Or just seances, man. Host. If you haven't seen Host yet, it's a 2020 movie, and they do it over Zoom, and it fucks everybody up. <laughs> uh, anyways, I digress. But uh, thank you, Beans and ladies, for going on that bizarre journey with me Whoa. Um, on another episode of Morning, Morning Murders. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram. At Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M.
M-U-R-D-E-R-S. If you have any stories you'd like to hear discuss around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank, Thank you, you for listening! Okay. Oh gosh, as I totally screwed up my page. Uh, this was in um. Bradford is considered a family annihilate. Oh my god. Annihilator. Annihilator. Bradford. Bradford is considered a family annihilator according accord. Oh my god, I can't talk. Blah blah. blah. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Bradford, because I didn't finish the sentence, because I started to type it, and then I forgot to finish it. So I'm like, this is what I was trying to say. Uh, Okay. Alpen. Alpen. That's, so you can see what it is. (laughs) Twist. (laughs) And fan. (laughs) 